Emmett Fox is a late 19th century and early 20th century Irish writer and theologian. And his writings became very popular in the AA recovery movement. And in his book on the Sermon on the Mount of the, the Beatitude, he writes these words. This beatitude is among the half dozen most important verses in the Bible. When you possess the spiritual meaning of this text, you have the secret of dominion, the secret of overcoming every kind of difficulty. It is literally the key of life. It is the Jesus Christ message reduced to a single sentence. Sinclair Ferguson, a well-known and skilled Scottish theologian, writes of the beatitude we'll be looking at this morning, there is probably no more beautiful quality in a Christian than meekness. It enhances, I love this, it enhances manliness. It adorns femininity. It is a jewel polished by grace. But it is all too rare. And then an American, Frederick Dale Bruner, he has a masterful two-volume work on Matthew. And of today's um, beatitude, he writes these words, There is a meekness that is almighty. Do you hear that? There is a meekness that is almighty and a gentleness that is strong. In the world threatened by nuclear holocaust macrocosmically and by the destruction of the family microcosmically, the great need of the age is gentle men and gentle women. The third Beatitudes people are the hope of the earth. So if, if what these guys are saying is true, and, and these three guys, they're very smart, we should pay attention. We should pay attention. Matthew 5, 1 through 11, will, 12, will place our one beatitude in its context. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went, up, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Blessed are you when people insult you. But look at that. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great, you can just imagine the looks on the people's faces. Are you serious? Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our focus of attention is here in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So 
read all you want to on this beatitude, but almost all of the Bible scholars who might call them would say you really can't get a one-word definition for meekness. There's just not one English word that does it justice. And part of our problem is, is through the evolution of time over the years, the way we use our usage of the word meekness and Jesus intended in original usage, they're just very, very different. And so today, if we were to say to someone, well, you're very meek, it's likely that wouldn't be taken as a compliment. If you were to say to me, Eddie, you're so, you're so meek, you're so gentle, my pride would not like hearing that. Actually, what I would hear would be something like that. Eddie, you are you're spiritless, you're spineless, you're wishy-washy, you're ineffective, you're easily cowed, you're lacking in courage, you're lacking in self-respect, you're imposed upon, you're timid, you're shy. Or as one writer describes, you're one like you're crawling over the face of the earth like a worm. We hear meekness and we think weakness, but nothing could be further from the truth as of what this word was intended to mean when Jesus spoke it to these people on this day. The standard usage of this word meekness was it was a word that was used for animals when they were trying to, um, an animal of great strength which had been domesticated and, and trained to obey its master. It's used of, of a great stallion, horse, that's a powerful and aggressive animal, but it was tamed not by, not by castration or not by um, taking away its power, but by helping it come under the control of the reins and the leading of the reins of its master. And so to, to kind of make a play off of the words... Rain, off the word rain, I would define meekness in this way. Meekness is one whose life is under the control of the kingdom reign of its master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and kingdom reign. That's the larger context of the Beatitudes. That's the larger context, certainly, of the whole Sermon on the Mount. One author writes of this Beatitude, he writes it in this way, Blessed is the one, blessed is the one who has every instinct, every impulse, and every passion under control. Imagine that. Every instinct, every impulse, every passion, it's under control. And so from that, there are many who will write that basically meekness is the equivalent of self-control. One who, who is in control of their power, in control of their impulses, in control of their instincts. But I would actually say, biblically speaking, that meekness is not necessarily so much self-control as it is God-control. Because you look in Galatians chapter 5 and we learn that meekness is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit, meaning that whatever power and whatever um, ability I have to bring my life, to bring my strength, to bring my instincts, to bring my feelings, to bring my desires and my, my uh, impulses and instincts under God's control, whatever ability I have to do that, it's not my own strength, but it is the working of the Holy Spirit in my life. Our mission at Eastside is to make disciples of all nations, and one of the classic calls of Jesus to discipleship is to deny yourself. If anyone would come up to me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Meekness at the heart of discipleship is the call to deny oneself. I deny what I desire. I deny my feelings. I deny my ways and my will to his impulse, to his desires, and to his leading. It's quite interesting when you take this word meekness and this beatitude, the exact same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it's a word that's used in reference to the great leader Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, we read these words. Now the man Moses was meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. If you're reading from the NIV, it would read, Now Moses was more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. And so basically meaning this guy was the meekest person who ever lived at that time. But if you know Moses' life, that wasn't like just something that came natural to him. It wasn't his natural disposition. Moses was a stallion and who at first by his own strength, by his own impulse, his own instinct, he killed someone over an injustice. But then you follow his life over a 40-year period time that followed. And God took this man and tamed him and brought him under control. And it's quite beautiful. At the end of Moses' life, in Deuteronomy 34, of him these words were written. No one else has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. you got these two superlatives. The most powerful man ever used by God and the meekest person who lived on the face of the earth. A stallion under control, under the control of the reign of his God. And then you move into the New Testament and we have the story of this man named Saul who, who lived by his own impulses and his own feelings and, and his own strength and his own instincts as an assertive persecutor of the followers of Jesus Christ. But God got a hold of him and God tamed him. And this man now named Paul became one of the most powerfully used forces of God to spread the gospel in the first century. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, this word that Jesus uses, blessed are the meek, he uses this word in reference to himself. He's being, he's being criticized, and so he's writing 2 Corinthians as a, something of a, a defense of his critics. And his critics were what they call there in that letter super apostles. They were the strong, the self-assertive. They were the eloquent. They were successful speakers, and they were looking at Paul, and they were criticizing him for being meek and timid. And so in Paul's defense, he writes these words, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. That's how he fought back. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then he goes on, if you know that context, he says, Don't you dare equate my meekness with weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong because it is a strength of God and my life is under his control. That's meekness. And so Paul, in, in discipling the young man, Timothy, he says to Timothy in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. That is not meekness. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, 
and of self-discipline. I think those three words define meekness. A power, a strength and a power under the control of self-discipline and driven by love. As we say, a gentle giant. That was Moses. That was Paul. That's the one who is meek. And so in our beatitude for today, Jesus tells us, tells us it's the meek who are blessed because he says it's the meek who will inherit the earth. And we read that and we say, well, Jesus, that's nicely said, but that is not reality in everyday life. It's not the meek who inherit the earth. It is the, the strong and the assertive who fight aggressively. Those are the ones that inherit the earth. Can you imagine going to the... Um, the Air Force Academy, and there being a big sign is their motto, training men and women to be soldiers who are meek. And we would think, what are you training them for? But we have to remember meekness is not weakness. In reality, it takes greater strength to maintain one's power under control. takes greater strength to not allow you to cause me to impulsively react. It takes greater strength to maintain control when life's circumstances are leading me in another direction. I love the Proverbs 16.33. Perhaps God had meekness in mind when he gave these words to the writer, he that rules his spirit is better, and I would say in this context, stronger is better than he who takes a city. Rudolf Steer, a 19th century author in his writings entitled The Words of the Lord Jesus, says of this beatitude, self-renunciation, this, is, this sounds odd, self-renunciation is the way to world dominion. Meaning in this, in this context, Denying my self-assertion, denying my will and my strength in my way and surrendering my will and my strength to his control and his way, that is the path to conquering whatever stands before me. Don McGinty, your mother, in her writings on the Beatitude, I was complimenting her last week, she does such a great job of reminding us of, of the, the historical time of this period. There were many people, she tells us, during the time of Jesus when he was speaking, many Jews who were very militaristic. And many of them, a big sect of them, lived in the area of Galilee, which is exactly where, where Jesus was teaching the Beatitudes and speaking. It was in the area, area of Galilee. And these were individuals that were looking for a, a, a military Messiah, a strong, assertive individual to fight for their enemies, to fight fight against their enemies, to fight for their rights, and to bring back and to take back their land from the Roman oppressors. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote of these Jewish zealots. They demanded their liberty, and they aggressively stood up and fought for what God wanted them to have. And Jesus shows up in Galilee, and she says, that's not the way you take the land. It's through meekness. And Jesus makes this point through Psalm chapter 37 in, in a quote. I've given this to you actually for your life groups to, to, to discuss. 
But in Psalm chapter 37, he, he is actually quoting, as a matter of fact, the Carringtons read this earlier. It is a beautiful chapter. Even if you're not in a life group, I would highly suggest that you read the whole chapter if you really want to grasp the context of what meekness truly is. He's saying to the psalmist is writing there, he says, don't, don't fret. That's his word. Or don't be imitated by, by these individuals. They're, they're evil, unjust aggressors. These powerful forces in the world. It looks like they're, they've got the upper hand. It looks like they're winning. It looks like they're the ones who are taking the land. He says, don't, don't you worry about them. Don't you be intimidated by them. They are here today and they're gone tomorrow. But he says, in the end, they will all fall and be gone, not to be found. And then our quote, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now listen to these quotes I bring from, from this psalm. In response to injustice, and we, we've got so much discussion about injustice in our land. In response to injustice, how are the people of God to respond? He says, the psalmist says, in response to the evil, unjust aggressors, he writes these words, you trust in God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Don't give in to the impulses of your anger. Let God be your strength. Let God be your deliverer. Let God be your refuge. That is meekness. And it's not simply about that's how you take the land, but I believe that's metaphorical language talking about that's how you conquer whatever problem or struggle you have before you. And so with this biblical definition or aspect of meekness in hand, we have to then ask, well, how does this apply to us? And especially since our series is our um, taking a step towards this vision and this dream that God has given us, we believe God is leading us in a vision of healing and bringing healing and hope and recovery to the broken outside these walls and inside these walls. What does the theme of meekness have to do with recovery and healing? I, I believe this. I believe that the absence of meekness is at the root of so many of our life struggles. I believe it's at the root. Whether it's the, the struggle with drugs or alcohol or porn or sex, whether it's overeating, whether it's a bad temper, whether it's a foul mouth, whether it's a critical spirit, whether it's complaining, whether it's arrogance and pride, whether it's idolatrous materialism, workaholism, whatever it is that you are currently struggling with, it's the result of a choice you're making not to place your life under God's control in the leading of His Spirit. It's a choice you're making to live by what's within, by your impulses and your feelings and your instincts. And our culture says, yep. Our hedonistic culture, it, it feeds that. It fuels that feeling. Hedonism is a philosophy of life that basically identifies the, the pursuit of pleasure and your happiness and your sensual indulgence as the highest good and proper, not some aim, but the proper aim of human life. And so in contrast to Jesus' 
saying, deny yourself. Our world says, absolutely not. Do not deny yourself of anything. Whatever you desire, embrace it. Our culture today identifies your desires and your feelings. That's the foundation of what is right. That's the foundation of what is true. And that has been replaced by God's word and God's will as being the foundation of what is right and true. Whatever my instincts and impulses say, this I will do. If you desire it, if you feel it, if it makes you happy, it must be right. Why would God give you these feelings and deny you of them? That's our culture. One example that perhaps represents all, my heart broke over the story. I'm from Nashville, and so I I keep an eye on the news in Nashville. It broke over the story of an influential contemporary Christian songwriter and singer who basically began to redefine, very influential, began to redefine what God's will is, not based upon what God's word says, but based upon her feelings. And because she had happier feelings with her neighbor's husband, she left her husband for him because God wants her to have happy feelings. And so two marriages were destroyed. It's, it's the deception of our feelings. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah says about our feelings is the deception of our feelings. That's what leads to the downfall of our society, of our families, and is destroying so many lives. But in contrast, it is meekness that's guided not by my impulses and my instincts and my desires, but it places oneself under the control and the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. I trust his will and his way over my own. He is my creator. And in doing so, I rise as mighty victor. You know, Jesus, this word meekness, he uses this word to describe himself. In Matthew chapter 11, he says these words, I am meek and lowly in heart. One writer notes that meekness is virtually the only personal quality about himself to which Jesus drew specific attention. Jesus is like, not like, Jesus is the epitome of meekness. Jesus is the embodiment of one who had unlimited power but chose to keep it under control, one who chose to forego his rights because of the needs of others, one who could have been served but came to to serve instead to the point of laying down his life for others. And so another passage I've referenced you to in your life group discussion, guys, is in 1 Peter chapter 2. It is this, to this characteristic of, of meekness, of Jesus' meekness, that, that Peter appeals in his second chapter of his first letter. He, he speaks to wives and to women who are being treated unjustly and, and unequally and unfair. And he's speaking to slaves who are being treated unjustly and unequally and unfair. And he's speaking to people, uh, followers of Jesus, who are, who are under the oppression of an unjust and corrupt government. How do you respond how are God's people to, to, to respond to, to such corruption and injustice? How does one overcome their foes? And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's in meekness. Now, he doesn't actually use the word meekness, but he uses these words to define it with a submissive, respectful 
and gentle spirit. Not yelling, not screaming, not in a retaliatory and vindictive spirit, but entrusting oneself under the control and the will of God. And that's not, that's not giving up or giving in. Jesus says, that's how you win. And so Peter states this, and he says, Jesus is the example that lived this out. Chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Listen, he entrusted himself instead to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As we prepare now to go to um, the tables for communion to remember what Jesus did on the cross by the offering of his body and his blood, and we have the, the, the bread and the cup that represents that. We're reminded of one, as First Peter writes, who did absolutely nothing wrong but was treated unjustly and unfairly. We're reminded of one who had the power to disintegrate in an instant his foes. And you're like going, do it! But he didn't. We're reminded of one who denied his feelings and his will and entrusted himself to the will of the Father and through meekness on the cross, he conquered his foes and conquered our foes. But we don't just go to these tables to, to be reminded of Jesus' meekness. We go to be reminded of his calling for our lives. It's, it's the third of life's healing choices, choosing meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and following the prayer, I'm going to ask that you go to the tables. Our, our shepherds are going to be there at the tables. And, and if you're here this morning, you're kind of new, and you're thinking, do I get to go or should I not go? This is an invitation to all to participate in communion. But we want you to know if this is new to you and you're uncertain to it, this is sacred to us. And it's important that you understand that the bread and the cup that are there represent the body and the blood of Christ that was given for you. But it's more than just a memorial. It is an invitation to his life. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you've never given your life to him in baptism, as you go and take the invitation to his table, speak to one of our shepherds that will be there. Would you bow with me and let's pray. something they would like to share with everyone. Say so what? The kids have something they would like to share with everyone. We're getting ready to have communion. Okay. Like they want to do it now? Now. Well, all right, bring them in.
phone. Okay, you guys come together, come together, come real close, everybody come real close. So we're getting ready to have communion at the tables. These guys wanted to be my closers today for the sermon by quoting uh, the Beatitudes. That was fantastic, and thank you for the song. After our prayer, 
for communion. If you're a parent and these are your children there or here, we would certainly ask you to come and get them. If you're one of our shepherds, we would ask that you would go ahead and disperse now to our tables to be ready to receive people for prayer. Ben, is you go ahead, shepherds, you go now. Um, ben is going to start this prayer, and then I am going to finish. You got a microphone? Yep. Okay. Just hang on. All right, let's pray together. Go ahead. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day. Um, thank you that we all come to be a community here and help the people that are new to love the place and help them to know that they're going to like it after a couple years. And thank you for being with my dad while he's in heaven with his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Father, thank you so much for these precious children. And thank you so much for your teaching, Lord Jesus. And may these words that they, they memorize today, may they be embedded in their hearts, in our hearts. And may you lead us to, to live them out by the empowering of your spirit. Lord Jesus, we come now to the tables to remember the gift of your body and your blood given on the cross and the meekness you displayed through which you conquered our enemies. God, may we leave these tables living out the example you set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.